welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. are you this evening welcome to the show thanks for having me or appreciate you having me on of course it's my pleasure thank you for joining me so i'd like to start off by asking how you describe yourself and what you do well i generally speaking because it usually depends upon uh to whom i'm speaking but uh by and large generally speaking about my business and brand i'm a branded lifestyle portrait photographer, and I serve speakers, authors, and coaches, and I help them create powerful and memorable uh, image content that they can use in order to uh, attract an audience and nurture an audience and develop an audience uh, in a way that these images visually punctuate all of the stories and the sentiments and emotions that they convey in their content that they share with those they serve. Wonderful. So that's very specific. Uh, what what first made you interested in photography? What first made me interested in photography? It was actually going way back to when I was in graduate school. This is, I believe it was my, it was 2004, and I was an MFA in television production student at Brooklyn College here in New York City, and I needed a class, and they had this 35-millimeter photography class available, and I figured, hey, I could do stuff with the video camera. What the hell is the difference between that and stills? And I'm like, let me just this. This sounds like a layup for a class. It's my last semester. I don't want to put any pressure on myself. Let me do this. And it turned out when I took it was a darkroom class, black mm-hmm. and white, 35 millimeter. Oh, yeah. it, it was the best class that I have ever taken in my entire life. And it was mind blowing and game changing. Except when I graduated, I pursued the TV stuff. Mm-hmm. But then as I uh, graduated and got a job as a field producer working on a talk show here in New York, um, as the years went by, I started to feel a certain sense of something missing in my life. And and basically the way that I kind of dealt with that frustration, that creative frustration, was to pick up the camera that I had in grad school and just walk around New York city and take street photography. And it all kind of started from there and it's, uh, it's all downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So let's back up a little bit. Um, television production. What made you want to study that in college? I wanted to be truthfully, I Mm -hmm. wanted to be in front of the camera. I wanted to be a sports announcer. I wanted to be the next Marv Albert. If you know who that is, I do. Uh, yeah. I wanted to be Marv. I love, I, you know, his personal life aside, his uh, <laughs> his presence and his, the way that he called a game. He's a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. You know, I just absolutely loved 
the whole idea. And then when I was a senior in college, I got an internship at HBO Sports. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I did was steal copy from Real Sports with Brian Gumble, which is a show that's still on the air, actually. This was in uh, 2000, okay. so back 19 years. Yeah. Um, and uh, I took copy from one of the Real Sports episodes, and I uh, put it into the prompter at uh, Hunter College is where I went, mm-hmm. uh, University of New York. I went to that for undergrad and I put it in the prompter and I practiced and then I watched myself back and I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm going to do this shit for real. (laughs) I'm like, you know what? I think being behind the camera might be a better idea for me. Let me see what that's all about. And then, and then that's when I decided to go to graduate school because when I, when I finished at Hunter, I didn't feel like I had enough of a background in what I was doing and didn't really know which way to go because production is a gigantic field with a ton of different types of jobs. Yeah. So when I went to grad school, that's when it really started to develop, and that's when I started to really grow a real fondness for single-camera production. And the reason why that's important is because single-camera production mirrors what I do now with my portrait clients. And in fact, a lot of my style and a lot of the way that I shoot my photography is based on that development that started in graduate school, worked its way through, uh, my producing work and now it manifests itself in the way that I shoot my stills. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of synergy, even though it's two completely different roads. There's a lot of synergy, especially when, when you take into account the creative mind that's mm-hmm. behind the thought of everything. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where it all started. Yeah. Good. Well, it's, so I commend you for being self-aware enough in college to realize that, Maybe what you were that you were studying is maybe not what you were focused and should be doing. There are a lot of people who don't have that type of either feedback or self awareness who go down this path and then don't realize it until much later in life. So that's that's commendable. So tell me about your days as a field producer. So what was that like and what what was it about field producing that interested you? Uh, it was a steady job and it had a paycheck and it had great health insurance and then, and I was in the cinematographer's union, which was pretty badass. And, uh, that, that is that to be completely honest with you, I'm half joking because the reality is that version of myself, um, going back now 14 years when I started there, uh, at the Maury show with Maury Povich, um, I, I um, I was in a place where I grew up in a family where they stressed stability and they stressed, you know, getting that paycheck and getting that insurance and don't fool around with that stuff and be safe and make the smart move and don't do anything hasty. And, you know, yeah, that was why, and, and ironically, television is not a place where stability lives unless if you're <laughs> on the. If you're in a different type of stuff, when you're on production side, you are at the mercy of the ratings. You're at the mercy of the interest of the host. You're at the mercy of the executives making decisions. And it's very cutthroat. I was very fortunate to be on a television show that is still on the air to this day, 21 years in. And it's 
current incarnation. It's actually older than that when Maury used to do the Donahue type stuff. But the point being is that I kind of lucked out. And um, but as far as the job was concerned, uh, what interested me was at first the emotion, mm-hmm. the the capturing things where you can't fake it again. It happened. You have to be there and you have to be in position. There's a lot of there's a rush to it, to be completely honest with you. Um, it's pretty awesome when you when you when you're there, when someone is breaking down and they're having a moment with their family member. And, you know, it's really something uh, that I got a charge out of. And then progressively, as the years went by, that charge became uh, an emotional toll and it became very stressful and it became traumatic because at the end of the day, we're not we're not talking to lottery winners here. Right. We're not talking. We're not talking to people that are living high on the hog. We're talking to people who have some real problems. They come from really crazy backgrounds. They're really crazy themselves. The level and diversity of personalities that I dealt with in that place has prepared me for absolutely anything that I could possibly handle in front of a camera. Absolutely can handle anyone or anything because we also dealt with celebrities. You know, I shot several celebrities and I shot reality people and and then there's a lot of other people (laughs) (laughs) right but so there was a lot of and also really the other thing that i enjoyed about working as a field producer and doing that work was the ability to tell stories in an extremely fast-paced way uh with a very fast turnaround so you really have to be charged up and you really have to be focused and really pay attention to what you're doing and be able to churn out this content in less than a day in many cases. Mm-hmm. And sometimes fly to places and I would be on a red eye back. A couple hours later, I'm in the I'm in the studio, I'm with an editor, I'm 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 producing an edit session, we're writing copy for more to say. It, it's just a lot of shit. It mm-hmm. was a lot. And um yeah, so it's exciting and it also just uh, at a certain point I hit the wall. Yeah. So tell me about that, that point where you hit the wall, where you decided, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm going to switch and start using the photography skills that I had learned earlier to make a living. Well, the switch happened when my mother died. Um, the switch happened uh, over the course of about eight months. Um, mm-hmm. I died in December of 2013, and that... That really opened my eyes to a lot of things about life and, and, and more importantly, um, about myself and where I was with my life and, and taking stock in, in what I was doing. And the reality was is that I was not satisfied. Uh, creatively, I was not satisfied. And it's not an indictment on any show that I've worked on or any job that I've had. It's more of, well, this is what I was going after and I'm responsible for my decisions. Therefore, you know, this is ideal for other people. But for me, I was holding on for years, years. Mm-hmm. I was I was growing resentful of the fact that I felt trapped because I wasn't uh, at the time brave enough to cut the cord and do what I did. So eventually what happened was is I just took stock on where I was and I couldn't do it anymore. And and I quit. And then um, the next step was freaking out for about a year mm-hmm. and not accomplishing jack shit other than freaking out and trying to maintain self-regulate my emotions. And I had absolutely no skill in that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the harder times for me. Um, aside from 
my mother and everything. I'm just saying professionally, it was sure. very, I was very, very confused. I, I refer to the two years after I quit my job in August of 2014 as my creative crisis because I was looking at every single photographer that came across my social, mm-hmm. every that I heard about through the communities that I was part of. I could do that. Let me try that. Let me go here. Let me do this. Let me see if this works. And and what really ended up happening was is I was never satisfied because ultimately what ended up happening was I turned within because I had one specific client come to me who I knew through other means and she was putting out a book and she needed photos. She needed a cover for the book, a photo, cover, a photo for the cover of the book as well as social media to promote herself and she turned to me and said well i need this stuff what the hell am i going to do and i said i have no clue i i got to figure this one out i guess and what ended up happening was is i tapped into all the tv stuff tapped into the emotion stuff that i was familiar with and tried to and then crafted this this niche that i now have because of this one client in fact when i was shooting her Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're walking back from her apartment in uh, we were in uh, Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and we were shooting in a park and it was right across the street from her and her husband's studio. After we were done at the park, we're walking across the street, heading back to the studio to wrap up. And I turned to her husband. And I'm like, dude, I think I could do this for other people, man. This is pretty cool. <laughs> and he's like, dude, I think you can. Yeah. And I'm like, I think I got an idea. I think we have a business. Literally, that's what happened. And that's where it happened. And that's why it happened. And it's one of my favorite stories because it's it's you know how people spend so much time, hours, months, years trying to figure out what it is that they do, what makes it unique. Mm-hmm. And I figured it out walking in passing, having a conversation with the camera in one hand, a gigantic light in another hand, sweating my ass off, walking across the street, and the epiphany happens. Yeah. Like, this is awesome. And that's what happened. Yeah, that's awesome. I, so what I love about that story is, so first off, your you know, stick-to-itiveness and that you didn't just sit there and think in your apartment of like, what can I do? You went out and you did multiple things, and it was the process of doing things where you discovered where your true focus and you know your business lies, which I think is amazing because a lot of people they just they're like, okay, I'm gonna think this through, and they you know turn inward and constantly have it stew and just sit there as opposed yeah. to have action, which is what you did, which is great. So could you then tell me more about how your your business and your business plan has evolved since that day to what you're doing now? Uh, a lot, Yuri. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot. Um, within that time, <clears throat> excuse me, um, within that time, uh, I have developed uh, – so that was – October of 2016, and from that moment until August of 2017, I had this one way of kind of talking about what I do, mm-hmm. and it was based – I'm not going to say anecdotally. It was based on one person and then kind of – what and the person that I photographed was a, is a branding professional, so she and her husband helped me get the whole thing off the ground with the website and the services – all that stuff um and 
you know, at the beginning, I was just kind of speaking in a way to people that I kind of talked about stuff from my perspective. And then in August of 2017, I began working with uh, an amazing, amazing consultant. And um, he's much more than that, but I hired him for that capacity. And he basically took a look at my social. He took a look at my blogs that I thought were kicking ass. Um, he basically said to me that everything that you put sounds like every other photographer. It's surface level and there is zero you. Where is you personally in these pieces and that really smacked me in the face because what ended up happening was I took stock in what he said and realized that I was not addressing the pain points. Now, granted, this model was built off of a direct client's pain points, sure. which is an ideal way to do it. However, the way in which that I was presenting it on social through my blogs and the way that I was talking and this is before I started doing podcasts as well. Uh, the way that I was conversing with people in person was very much based on what I thought they needed, not what are the needs of the people that I serve. So the biggest fundamental shift was that. And now um, I've been at it where I write three blogs a week. I went from one, uh, you know, two a month, maybe four a month if I'm lucky, so one a week to 13 a month. And I write social every single day. Um, and what for, that forced me to do was really listen to the people and listen to their needs and understand what it was that they really needed. And, and, and to be completely honest with you, that never stops. Mm -hmm. It's a constant refinement. Everything that we do as business owners is a constant refinement because you're learning different insights and, and, and different types of um, intricacies and nuances that each person brings to the table that I have to capture in them through their images as well as preparing them with uh, the content creation stuff that I also do with my clients. So and that's another thing that developed over the course of time. I realized that as I was shooting people and giving them hundreds of photos, that they have absolutely no clue what the hell to do with these things. And it becomes absolutely overwhelming to people who are not accustomed to posting consistently. Right. So what I ended up doing was, well, hey, I created this system for myself where I'm three months ahead on my content. And I write all this crap and it's like, well, it's not crap, but you know what I'm saying? Like in general, this pile of it's my IP really is what it is. And, and you know, I need to share this with people so that they can do the same thing with the images that I give them. Because the last thing that I want to do is hand a client photos and never see them being posted. That drives me up a wall. In fact, it was one client who posted a, dare I say, stock photo that was my that pissed me off it was like hey what are you doing i just gave you like 200 photos and you're posting a stock photo it's like well i got overwhelmed and i hired a social media person and they're taking over and i'm like that's great give them the damn photos that you just took but that <laughs> but that moment that moment was the nail in the in the coffin for the idea that i need to do something with idea generation content creating a framework so that I could at least hand this to a client so that we can work on it in the beginning and I can hold their hand through the initial stuff just to get them used to it so they can start pumping ideas out. Mm -hmm. And 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 so that's also been included into the program that I offer. Yeah. 
Well, that's great. So could you tell me a little bit more then about your program? In looking at your website, there's a lot of fantastic photographs that seem to be, you know, much more personal than just the standard kind of run-of-the-mill, you know, point-and-shoot type of thing. So when somebody books with you, what type of sessions do you have and, and what can they expect from working with you? Okay. Well, so what I do with my clients, uh, I was just actually talking to someone earlier this morning about this. I told him that when it comes to my sessions, the prep work that we put in before we even get the camera and the lights out is actually longer than the photo session itself. Uh, I just put in uh, a ton of effort with my clients to figure out, you know, kind of who they are, who they serve, why they do what they do. And the way that I do that is by conducting a strategy call with them where I ask them a million and one questions. I mean, I have a list. I think it's around 30. I, I don't even know. And then I ask follow-up questions because the producer in me never dies. <laughs> but, but during that call, I'm able to extract all of these interesting little nuggets about uh, those three questions in addition to figuring out what work looks like to them. How do they get inspired? How do they write down their brilliant ideas? How do they work with clients? What does that look like? Is it virtual? Is it in person? You know, there's there's a bunch of different ways. And what I end up doing is uh, shooting a lot of images, uh, these candid lifestyle portraits where it's, it's breaking down the fourth wall uh, between the audience and the person because at the end of the day what we're trying to do is create that connection that rapport uh to be relatable with the audience you serve because one of the things that i stress to my clients is that it's you know even though you are a superhero in someone else's eyes that you know you help mm -hmm. you also need to be relatable because if you're just a superhero, it puts you on this pedestal and it's kind of intimidating for a lot of people. And in many cases, they won't reach out because they'll think that you're too far along to even want to, you know, give any attention to that person. So what I like to do with my clients is really figure out those subtle nuances and what makes them unique with their particulars in their particular space. And then once we go through the pre-session call, which also, by the way, extracts a lot of information about what they should wear. What are the locations that we should shoot in? Um, you know, what kind of props are you going to bring? What kind of books are you going to bring? Because I don't just shoot uh, the person. That gets really boring if you see portraits of people over and over and over again. Right. So I have them bring in objects that have emotional resonance for them that they can write about so that it becomes a relatable quality to the audience that's paying attention to their stuff in addition to the books that inspire their thought leadership. You know, I'll have them read the book and I'll shoot chapter titles. I'll shoot passages and, and my clients will then take that, uh, take those images and talk about what that stuff means to them. It's all relatable stuff. So we work on that. And then the second aspect of the preparation strategy that we do is we work on the what I call the idea nugget incubator program, which is the content creation stuff that I had mentioned earlier. And what we do with that 
is I have um, it's basically a framework for people. It's giving them 14 different types of content buckets, types of themes that they can focus on to kind of get the ball rolling with them creating their own content. It's kind of like training wheels. I don't see the workbook that I have as an end all be all for people. It is just the starting point. So the way that I break it down is by uh, subcategories. Uh, I have three subcategories of the 14 content buckets. The first one is illustrating your expertise. So that's meant to extract stories from their business and, and the client interactions and kind of, and also their thought leadership and the stuff that they want to talk about, the high level stuff. And that builds the credibility. And then I have a bunch of uh, content buckets about their uh, life as a business owner because I want them to talk about the ups and downs of being a business owner, failing and, and having no clue and, and kind of how they got to where they are based on all of these bumps in their road on the way to where they are. Because that, again, creates that relatableness to the people that they serve. And the third uh, category is life as a human being, uh, sharing stories about family and sharing stories, personal stories. And, and again, I never tell a client that they need to talk about certain things in their content because mm -hmm. uh, you need to be comfortable with what you're sharing. I certainly do not share everything about my life, but the stuff that I do share, I triple down on. And that's what I stress with my clients. Sure. So when you're, you're meeting with clients and you're, photogra and you're photographing them, how do you build such good rapport with them? Because in, in looking at these, these photographs, the subjects seem very comfortable, very confident, uh, and you know not everybody is comfortable being photographed or being in front of the camera. So how do you approach that? So I'll just be honest and say the vast majority, if not eight out of ten of every person that's on my feed on my website, they do not like being in front of the camera. <laughs> in fact, some of them dread it. Uh, so what I do is... Um, I mean, part of it is quite frankly, I just talk a lot of shit and make them laugh. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge piece. Um, and the reason why it works is because the client has qualified me as someone that they like personally. And I have done exactly the same thing with them. It is not a one way road. That's a, that's a misnomer for business owners where they think that the qualification comes from the client. That is not true. You need to qualify them as well because at the end of the day, this is a very intimate process that I'm doing with people. It makes them feel very vulnerable and open and out there, and there needs to be trust and there needs to be a certain level of rapport, a high level of rapport once you're shooting them. And to answer your question directly, it starts the moment that they pick up the phone to call and uh, ask me questions about the process. That's when it starts. It does not start five minutes before the session. It does not start during the pre-session strategy calls. It happens the moment they contact me. And in some cases, it's direct message uh, or text or it's a referral. Whatever the case may be, it starts the moment you start talking to them because – that's how you develop a real connection. You li uh, there's a lot of listening, mm -hmm. listening, not to just what they're saying, not just the meat and potatoes of the of the actual words. It's how they're responding to the way that I'm talking to them. That's a huge thing, because when I ask someone, 
and get them to a place where they're looking vulnerable and they're pensive. And I'm getting that emotional range on the more darker kind of uh, reflective side, not the snappy, happy, um, joyous and happy, laughing and going crazy. That stuff is layups for me. It's easy. There's nothing hard about that. The difficult part is capturing the entire emotional range Um, because I don't. I, I, you know, when you look at other uh, different types of speaker, author, coach or coach profiles, you see a lot in my estimation, you see a lot of beautiful work. There is a ton of amazing, talented photographers out there. The, ch- the problem that I have with what I see out of a lot of these folks is that it's very vanity driven images and it's very popcorn, fun fortune cookie wisdom type images that kind of really look beautiful, but there's no, there's no guts to it. There's no emotion to it. There's no, I've been through a lot of shit. I've lost a lot of money. I've done 10 different types of pivots on my business. I have struggled and I've been, and it took me 15 years to be an overnight success. There is none of that. And that to me is a problem because you do not relate to people on a human, emotional, deep, personal level, unless if you are providing the types of images that will uh, visually punctuate those stories. And the fact is, is those people are still putting those stories out there. They're just pairing it with images that just there there there's an asynchronicity to it so you you've mentioned a few times about uh the story behind a lot of the images and and the you know more than just the cookie cutter kind of popcorn type of stuff what are some what are some bad examples you constantly see people doing or bad advice you see you hear there all the time that's being passed around about how people should uh, do content and branded content. Are you trying to get me pissed off and upset? Is that what you're trying to do, Yuri? Is this, is this what this is about? I mean, I'm, you know, I, you're a very uh, passionate, passionate guy. I, I just kind of want to, you know, I'm sure there's a couple of things out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, like, there's a couple. Yeah, yeah they're, a like, couple. they're like, what idiots is this? But, you know, there's, there's always bad advice out there, and I, I want to know, what bad advice pisses you off the most? Um, probably the biggest one uh, with res- – okay, so let's just talk about image content first. My biggest pet peeve, mm-hmm. um, and I've written probably three blogs about it. It absolutely drives me bad shit crazy. Um, so I'll see a business owner. Uh, let me set the scene. It's a living okay. room. Okay, and they're sitting on the couch and on the coffee table is their laptop and they have a cup of coffee in their hand and one hand is on the computer on the laptop and then their other hands holding the coffee and then their face is looking directly into the camera because that makes sense. (laughs) It's 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 the most ridiculous frame and I've seen it. I mean, you know probably what three four dozen times absolutely drives me insane because either you're working and it's a lifestyle shot and it's candid and it's breaking the fourth wall or it's a traditional portrait you're on the couch you're looking into the camera making that contact that kind of thing just is it's sending mixed messages it's complicated there's no need for that and it looks like shit 
So that's that one. Then the other one is the uh, either uh, I'm so overjoyed and happy I have that big belly laugh. I like shooting big belly laughs. I don't want to see five in a row on your social feed, though. That's that's one of those things where it's like you're going to share an amazing story in your life or you're going to share an amazing client win or whatever the story is that 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 photo is visually punctuating Mm -hmm. once every now and then. But when it's every shot, that sucks. And then when it comes to the story elements, um, one of the things that I talk about a lot, and in fact, I'm gearing up to write about it again, is regarding quote posts and regarding sharing famous quotes from people. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have a problem with that once in a blue, to be honest with you, because the reality is, is that it's not that it's a credibility thing. I mean, anyone can go online and grab like words of wisdom and people do. It's not really special, but when it's in context of what you do, it does make sense every now and then. The thing that drives me nuts is seeing the uh, business owners who do that every single post. And I'm not talking about they mix it in and it's photos of them and then they have selfies of other. No, it's just the quotes. To me, I find that to be very uh, frustrating because the whole point of your social media is to show off how you serve, not how Martin Luther King or Albert Einstein or anybody else famous thinks about, you know, work and product. That stuff in, you know, small measure is fine. Every single post, they're not hiring Albert Einstein. They're not digging him up from the grave to get his help to work on business. They're hiring you to get them off their ass to get to work. So maybe you should share stuff that actually will make a difference in what they do in their lives and their businesses. Yeah. So your your hashtag, yeah, absolutely. Where did that come from? Oh, I did mention before that uh, I have a story about that. Well, yeah. the idea was the, the hashtag – okay, so uh, about a year ago, uh, one of my um, colleagues – her name is Donna. Um, she is a social media magician, and she has done a lot of work with me on how to repurpose and get myself out there. And uh, we were having a strategy day, and she said to me, you know, you need to get a hashtag. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why? And then she explained to me why. Now I understand why, but then I, I, I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. I'm like, all right, whatever. Let's come up with something silly or let's say photo, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And we did that for hours. And then we went on to other stuff. And then when we came back to it, she blurted out randomly, you know, you say, yeah, absolutely a lot. Maybe you should go with that. My first response was, I do. And she said, yeah, you do. And I'm like, you know what? It's snappy. It's cool. I dig it. I think it'll be a cool way for me to punctuate pretty much every single thing I post on social because it's awesome. I really like the concept. Let's go with it. Mm -hmm. I went home. And I thought about it more, and I'm like, you know what? It's more than that. This thing means a lot more than that because just thinking about my life in the grand scheme, when uh, you know, as I mentioned before about my mother and going through that creative crisis, and and what I didn't mention before is that during that time, I start, I I was introduced to the personal development world, speakers and coaches helping people in their lives, and. 
you know, there was a lot of education there. There was a lot of learning. And what ended up happening was, is uh, I kind of left this defeated, negative, pessimistic attitude that I had in the past. And, you know, once I started my own business, I was kind of standing on my own two feet and kind of going through this whole transformation, not just as a business owner, but as a human being. Because when you become a business owner, you're forced to become a better human being, period. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you work, when you're used to working on a team of like 75 people and now it's you, period. You know, it forces you to learn a lot of stuff about yourself and, and life and, and just living. So then once I realized that and put that context with the yeah, absolutely hashtag, I fell in love with it. And now I walk around with t-shirts that say yeah absolutely on it and i talk about it all the time and i love it and i love when people tag their stuff yeah absolutely it makes me happy oh that's awesome so with everything that you've done and learned so far what would you would you say has been the best advice you've ever received oh man uh i know it sounds trite and and it's cliche but um being your, be yourself, um, in terms of just living and presenting yourself in your business and be yourself. I was very scared to do that at first with my content. And and when I was called out by my consultant to do that, it forced me into a place where I realized that I, I, I'm not being myself in these things. That was a huge transition for me. Um, And I think some of the other, I mean, I have received so much amazing advice and counsel and strategy with regard to personal development. I wouldn't know where to start with that other than the fact that other people matter. We have the permission to be human and it's important to show up in the world exactly the way you want. And the only person that's responsible for that to happen is you. So I would say that that's probably I know that's more than one, (laughs) but taken as a family of ideas, um, that's probably the best stuff. For sure. Great. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to see your work and find out more about you and get a hold of you, where are the best places they can go to do that? Well, uh, so earlier I mentioned my website, look up the yeah, absolutely hashtag mm-hmm. that all is definitely available. Um, I would just say the other place would be Facebook. You can find me at Demato productions. And, um, also if there are any photographers in the audience listening, um, I also have, I just started a photography education community with uh, a partner of mine who lives in the Netherlands. It's called uh, screw the metadata. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, basically what that community is, we're about to relaunch it actually. Um, uh, in uh, pretty soon, but basically what it's about is uh, creating an auth- um, a memorable and referable online presence as a photo- and referable business as a photographer. So it's basically everything I just said uh, for photographers to do the same thing, and that's screwthemetadata.com. Perfect. I will make sure to put all of those links in the show notes so people can click right through. Awesome. Great. Well, again, John, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Yuri. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. 
If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.